What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Intertopia. I am your host, Michael. Just a quick little side note, it is extremely hot. This weekend, I'm recording this on a Sunday. This weekend is a heat wave in Southern California. Temperatures are over the 100s, and it's been tough. I like to record these things on Saturdays, but it was so hot yesterday. I figured today would be a little bit better, and it's not as hot as yesterday, but it's still pretty damn hot. Anyways, today I am here to talk about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. It was it was a disappointment, to say the least. I remember I was somewhat excited about it because I was so disappointed by the previous movie, The Last Jedi, that with this movie I was like, oh man, it doesn't seem like it's going to be good. And I saw in the trailers that they had Palpatine back, and I was just like, really? Well, maybe they'll do something smart or interesting, bringing Palpatine back. But they didn't. This new trilogy that started with The Force Awakens that came out in 2015, I feel like this whole new trilogy, in total, it has been a big missed opportunity. So a brief little history, George Lucas, he sold the rights to Star Wars in 2012 to Disney for, I believe it was $4 billion. Like George Lucas made a lot of money off of this. But in doing so, he gave Disney full control, full creative control over the Star Wars uh, property, the intellectual property and all that. So it was announced around 2013, I believe, that Disney was going to make a new trilogy of Star Wars movies that was continuing the quote-unquote Skywalker saga. And that first movie would come out in 2015, and that was The Force Awakens. Around that time, I had just really gotten into Star Wars. Like, I was into it a little bit when I was a kid. Like, I was nine years old when The Phantom Menace came out back in 1999. And I actually saw that movie in theaters. I remember seeing that. And I remember that got me into Star Wars. That was my first real introduction to the whole franchise. Um, I went with my grandma and uh, cousins and aunts. Uh, it, it was a pretty big group. They were more into it than I was. They were all about that original trilogy. Again, this was my first exposure to Star Wars. So I got into Star Wars through the prequels. I remember watching episode two in theaters also with my grandma. I lived with my grandma growing up as a child. So I, I went to the movies a lot back in the 90s and early 2000s with my grandma. But yeah, so I remember seeing the first two episodes. And then I saw the third episode with my brother Reno when that came out. And I remember I liked them. You know, I was a teenager basically when those movies came out. Well, you know, starting with the second one, really. But yeah, I, I remember enjoying those movies, but never owning them. I never really went back and rewatched them. I just remember watching it in theaters and really liking it. So that was like my love with Star Wars. And I remember watching the original trilogy and liking it. But again, it wasn't. Those weren't movies that I would own or buy or re really rewatch. And, you know, like I didn't have anything against them. It's just that, uh, I don't know. I just, I guess I didn't really connect to it like the, like my cousins did and all that. But yeah, I remember it was like 2012, 2013. And I really got into Star Wars. I, I kind of out of nowhere, I was just like, I wanted to rewatch them and I was really into it. Then I heard that they were going to be making another movie. So all of that excitement kind of reinvigorated my love for the Star Wars franchise. So I was looking forward to this new trilogy. So 2015 comes around and The Force Awakens comes out and I really love that movie. Um, I saw that in theaters I, like nine times. 
Honestly, that's how, like I, I got really caught up with that movie. And at the time I was working at a hotel and right across the street from the hotel was a movie theater. I can remember a handful of times when my shift was over, just walking across the street and go watching another viewing of The Force Awakens. I really liked it. I thought there was a lot of potential and I, I could see how it was very similar to A New Hope and even Empire Strikes Back in a few regards. But that didn't necessarily bother me. I did feel like it was fan servicey, and I did feel like Disney was playing it safe, but I had a lot of faith in the next movie that was going to come out. I, I remember telling myself, like, well, this next one, if it's exactly like Empire Strikes Back, then I should be worried. So the next movie comes out, The Last Jedi. So I remember when I first saw The Last Jedi, I was like, I, I was forgiving of it. I felt like there was a lot of bold choices made and a lot of leaps in like logic that you would have to take I I guess to be fully invested in that movie and I remember the first couple times seeing the movie you know I liked it but I even then I remember thinking like I like it but I definitely don't like it as much as I did Force Awakens like I really liked Force Awakens I wasn't even questioning it the first time I saw the Force Awakens the more I saw The Last Jedi the more I realized that it was a bad movie and there was a lot of bad and very questionable choices made in that movie and it really just seemed like Disney did not have a clear-cut plan from the beginning. It's kind of like they told J.J., hey, we want you, with Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams directed The Force Awakens, it seems like they told him, play it safe. Don't try anything too new, and don't do anything too differently. And I think that's why Force Awakens is so much like A New Hope, is because Disney was just playing it safe. They're like, hey, you know, give the fans familiarity. While I still enjoy The Force Awakens, I do feel like that's a studio playing it safe as safe as possible like they don't want to risk trying anything too new or certainly doing anything too different so here comes the last jedi and the last jedi uh, directed by ryan johnson written and directed by ryan johnson disney just gave the reins to a guy and we're like here you're fully in charge whatever you want to do you know i could do a whole podcast on the last jedi i really don't want to because i really don't like that movie and i would just be talking shit for the whole podcast but yeah, I just feel like the, the Last Jedi. Again, like the more I've watched it, the more I've developed my overall opinion of it. And yeah, it, it's not a great Star Wars movie. There are a couple pretty great sequences in there, and that's about it, honestly. So I became pretty disenchanted with the this new Star Wars franchise. I felt again, I you know I liked The Force Awakens, and I was pretty disappointed with The Last Jedi. So when I found out that they were making this movie, I was like. Well, I'll watch it just to finish the trilogy. Just because I've already invested so much time into this new trilogy, like I, you know, I I at least got to see how it's going to pay off. And the production history of this movie is very rocky to say, to put it lightly. So originally a director named Colin Trevorrow, he was going to write and direct this movie. And Colin Trevorrow, he directed the 2015, the Jurassic World movie the rebooted Jurassic Park movie, basically. So Disney was really happy with how that movie performed, and they announced that he was going to be the writer-director for The Rise of Skywalker. So he made a movie that came out called The Book of Henry. And The Book of Henry is a pretty terrible movie, and it's very bizarre. It is super, super bizarre. Now, I certainly wouldn't recommend that movie, but I would recommend reading the synopsis like on wikipedia or imdb and you you'll get you'll get a good idea like that movie was 
I don't even want to say it was divisive. I think it was mostly universally panned by audiences and critics. So that movie bombed with critics and the box office. And it was shortly after that Disney announced that they weren't going with Colin Trevorrow anymore. They were going to go with somebody else. And they weren't saying it was because of the Book of Henry. But me and the rest of the world were like, I think it's because of the Book of Henry. So then Disney announces that they're going to have J.J. Abrams returning to write and direct this movie. When The Last Jedi came out, it was met with, it was it was divisive between audiences and critics. It, really everyone that saw the movie, there was people who liked what they were going for in The Last Jedi. The people that liked the decisions and the risk that they took in that movie and other people who just hated it thought that it was terrible so it was very polarizing and you either liked that movie or you didn't you know like i said with me i was at first somewhere in the middle ultimately i realized that it's not a good movie and i didn't like it so i think because the force awakens was so much more successful in terms of box office and critical reception disney again wanting to play it safe they went back to the well like hey jj you did the force awakens that received better everything compared to the last jedi will you come back and do this and it's funny because jj abrams has said that he didn't want to do it he was very apprehensive when they approached him to return he said he didn't want to do it i don't know what happened if i had to assume i would say the money was right they gave him an offer he certainly couldn't refuse and he he ultimately acquiesced and returned so having all of this foreknowledge when you watch the movie and really this new trilogy as a whole you can really see that disney didn't anyone involved in these movies there was never a clear-cut plan there was never a, a start point and an end point jj and lawrence kasdan Lawrence Kasdan is the gentleman who wrote what many consider to be the best Star Wars movie, and The Empire Strikes Back. Him and J.J. wrote the Force Awakens script together, but it was mostly Lawrence Kasdan from what I understand. But, okay, so they do that. They play it safe. They, 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 they start up Ray. They ask these questions that never get paid off. Spoiler alert. They, they ask these questions. Who, who is Ray? Who are her parents? What is her lineage? And they set up Kylo Ren to be this ultimate villain. Really, they set up Snoke to be the, this ultimate villain, this new emperor, if you will. And Ryan Johnson, completely, like he kills Snoke in the second one. Kylo tells Ray that her parents are nobodies. So basically, everything J.J. set up in the, in the Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson completely was like, fuck everything that was raised in The Force Awakens. I'm doing my own thing. I'm starting my own thing. I'm completely disregarding what J.J. did in the previous movie. It's so weird. When you watch The Force Awakens and then you watch The Last Jedi, like, back to back, you're just like, wait, wh like, what? Like, it, it feels so disjointed. And, again, this is just because no one involved in this trilogy was on the same page. The studio was like, okay, for Force Awakens, you do what you want to do. They gave Ryan Johnson the reins with the second one. Okay, you do what you want to do. And then when it comes down to Colin Trevorrow, they fire him after he had already written a few scripts. Again, there was no direction for this trilogy. There was no start point and end point whatsoever. And it, that blows my mind that a billion dollar corporation like Disney would put so little preparation into a trilogy of one of the most iconic and beloved movie franchises of all time. Man, again, Disney really dropped the ball with this whole franchise. Okay, last little piece of trivia before I dive into the movie. So Carrie Fisher, who portrays Princess Leia, or now General Leia in this new trilogy, she died on December 27th, 2016. And that was actually in between the release of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So she had finished completing all of her scenes for The Last Jedi, but they had not even gotten into pre-production for 
The Rise of Skywalker. So before the movie came out, the studio assured everyone that they would not digitally recreate her as they did in Rogue One, but instead they would use unused footage from The Force Awakens to help complete her story. And I really feel like they pulled it off pretty well considering that they were using old footage that wasn't even meant to be a part of the third movie, but they did, and I do have to give them a lot of credit for that. They made it feel much more natural than... I feel like it could have gotten a lot worse. Alrighty, so with all of that said, let's get into this movie. I do have some more facts about the movie, but I'll get into that after I'm done going through the movie itself. So the movie opens up with the iconic, classic crawl text and John Williams' just incredible, iconic Star Wars theme. It starts off, it feels like a Star Wars movie. And it's great. Okay, so in the text, it lets us know that Emperor Palpatine has made a broadcast across the galaxy. And so Kylo Ren, he is in search for the Emperor. It's just so weird because Emperor Palpatine was not even mentioned once throughout this new trilogy. And then at the beginning of this movie, you know, we just have to accept that like Palpatine is back. He is alive. He sent out a broadcast and they totally just gloss over all of that. Like it's so crazy when you watch these movies in succession, especially I'm talking about this new trilogy. I'm going to say the Disney trilogy when I'm talking about Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and then Rise of Skywalker. But it, it, it's so crazy how such a huge studio could go about making a trilogy so half... And it, it, like the whole concept for all three movies are all half-baked. They don't connect like they should. And it is crazy. But yeah, so at the start of this movie, before we even see any action just in the crawl text, Palpatine's back. Palpatine is back. He exists. He did not die at the end of Return of the Jedi, as we all saw. Nope, he is still alive. And the reason why he's still alive is such bullshit, but I'll get into that when that time comes in the movie. I remember seeing this in theaters, and like right away, I was like, wait, what? That's how they're going to go about explaining? Because I saw in the previews, like, so when you saw the trailers for The Rise of Skywalker, it prominently features Palpatine. So you know he's in the movie in some capacity, but you don't know how. So I was surprised when I did see this movie in theaters and right away it's just like, oh yeah, he's back. He sent a message out to the galaxy and yeah, he's back. Kylo Ren is looking for him. And it's like, oh, okay. Like we're just thrown right into this. Like <laughs> right away the movie starts off on an odd note. So after that we get a montage of Kylo Ren and he's just busting ass. He's just killing all these nameless creatures on some random planet. And then he finds this device called the Wayfinder and it is as simple as you would expect. It leads you directly to the planet that Emperor Palpatine is on. And that planet is called Exegol. This device leads him directly to Palpatine. It's called the Wayfinder. It's never been introduced in the Star Wars universe before. But yeah, it exists now. So Kylo uses the Wayfinder and he finds his way to this huge structure where Palpatine is in there. And he starts telling him that he knew that he would come. And this is all happening within like the first five minutes of the movie. Palpatine is telling Kylo that he made Snoke. And then when he says that, we see like several Snokes, like cloned Snokes in this tube of some kind. So then Kylo asks Palpatine, what can you give me? And Palpatine says, everything. When he says that Palpatine, he raises thousands of Star Destroyers on this planet from the ground that were buried, apparently. So many questions with that. Who built these Star Destroyers? Are they all manned? You know, just, okay, going back to that whole Snoke thing where he said that he made Snoke and then we see a bunch of clone Snokes. It makes you wonder, like, okay, so if you have a bunch of Snokes that you've cloned, why not have them be your army? Because Snoke was very powerful 
in the, uh, in the first in the first couple movies, albeit he was in half of the Last Jedi. A lot of people thought Snoke was a, a Sith Lord, a Sith Master of some kind. Uh, they thought that he was Darth Plagueis, and that goes more into the expanded universe of Star Wars. But yeah, just as powerful as he was, and as mysterious as he was. All the mystery that J.J. set up in The Force Awakens, it never pays off. We just find out like, oh no, it was Palpatine. He made him, actually. It makes you wonder, so why is Palpatine reliant on the First Order, where he could just have an army of Snokes who are super powerful that have the Force? You know, again, it's it's a half-baked idea. They throw it in here, and I think... The filmmakers wanted us to see that like Palpatine made Snoke and he has like multiple of them. Like we're supposed to be like, ooh, ah, but really it has me asking. It raises more questions than anything. So Palpatine tells Kylo that what he has to do is basically kill the girl and become what your grandfather couldn't. And then he tells him that he'll be able to rule the galaxy. And again, this is all happening within like the first five minutes of the movie. It gives you so much. It just wants you to start off at this point that was not built up to whatsoever in the previous two movies of this trilogy so it starts off just very discombobulated and on such a weird note it's a science fiction action movie like i get it it's a space opera like you can't expect too much realism in it i get it i get that argument that's fair that's valid but it's just asking for so much suspension of disbelief it doesn't even had they set up palpatine returning in any of the previous movies i could accept it i could get on board but they didn't. Oh man, yeah. So so the movie starts off like that, and yeah. Again, I remember the first time watching it, just being so, like already at this point, being frustrated. Like, oh man, I hope it gets better because this is, this is shit. How they went about this. So then the scene after that, we see the Millennium Falcon in hyperspace, and Chewie, Finn, Poe, the whole gang is there, and they're playing this virtual card game that was shown in the original movie. They eventually meet up with another ship, and this ship is sending them information about something that we're not sure of yet. So they're able to transmit the data back to each other's ship and then a bunch of TIE fighters start attacking the Millennium Falcon. So they get the information just in time and then we have this action chase. And of course the TIE fighters are missing in typical classic Star Wars fashion. But you know, but it is pretty fun, I guess, you know, because we get to see the banter between Poe and Chewie in the cockpit. And you know, it's fun. It's light. I do like Poe Dameron played by Oscar Isaac. Like I, I really do like the new cast. I like Daisy Ridley. Uh, you know, I like Ray, Finn, Poe, BB-8. I, I like all the new characters that they introduced in this world. I really feel like they failed at fleshing them out as fully as they could have. Regardless, it's really fun seeing them all together in this little action chase in the beginning of the movie. So they make their way out of the situation, and then we have a sequence where they they do this new thing introduced to the Star Wars universe called light speed skipping. Even watching this movie earlier today, I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it because I feel like it's a bit of a cheap trick. While it looks cool, yeah, I'm just not sure. Like, so light speed skipping, they go to light speed, and then they, I guess they just position themselves in another direction. Then they go to light speed. Like, like it's real brief. They like they just light speed somewhere random and they don't know where they're going to be. Again, this was another thing the movie introduced where it's never been introduced before. They just throw it out there and you're just like, oh, okay, well, now they can do this. Anyways, the next scene, we see Rey and she's floating midair with a bunch of rocks floating around her, like in a pattern of some sort. And this is where we see Carrie Fisher. And apparently this is all that unused footage from The Force Awakens. I do think it's crazy when I see this footage, I wonder what they had planned out for The Force Awakens because this was the unused footage. So basically deleted scenes, if you will. But yes, in these deleted scenes, Leia is training Rey. 
And it makes you wonder what was going to like, yeah, what exactly was supposed to happen in the force awakens? What was that first draft that they were going to do where they actually filmed it? But I do think it's incredible how they were able to write around those scenes of that existing footage and incorporate it into this movie. That's one thing I will give this movie. As much as I don't like this movie, I do think that they handled Leia very, very well, considering the circumstances that she died a few years prior to filming this movie. So they just worked with what they had. And I do think they pulled it off really, really good. Again, they didn't want to use the CGI Carrie Fisher because they did that in Rogue One. But that was met with a lot of backlash, actually. A lot of people thought it looked too fake and it was disrespectful although at the time Carrie Fisher was alive and she did sign off she did approve that for Rogue One but I think because there was so much backlash Disney and they assured everyone that they will not be recasting doing CGI they're just going to use footage they already have of Carrie Fisher so as Rey is training we see her and Kylo having another force connection of some kind you know and this force connection was brought up in the last movie and you know it's funny people refer to it as force skyping is basically they could see each other no matter where they are, but they can't really see each other's background. So it's it, it, it's interesting. After that, we have a pretty nice scene between Leia and Ray, and then we see Billy Lord, who is Carrie Fisher's daughter. She has a small role in this movie. She's had a small role in all three of the movies, actually, but she's incorporated in this scene. Overall, I thought it was pretty sweet. So after that, the Millennium Falcon returns back to the planet where Ray and Leia are, and then we get some banter between Finn, Poe, and Ray. And, you know, this is probably my favorite part of the movie, honestly. I love all the scenes with these three together because they're so great together. They have such great chemistry. And, you know, it's just very fun to watch. I wish the movie was more focused around them. Um, maybe I would have liked it a lot more. So after that, we have a big powwow with everyone. And, and Poe basically tells them Palpatine's plan that he's going to be taking over the galaxy in the next 18 hours. As I was watching this scene earlier, it was kind of blowing my mind because I was like, it's kind of crazy that... No one is questioning anything about Palpatine. No one's really surprised that he's backed or really shows any interest in the fact that he's back. Everyone's really blasé about the whole thing. I feel like so many people would be like, wait, Palpatine? Because, you know, everyone knows the story of Luke Skywalker in this new trilogy. So they know that he defeated, well, actually Vader defeated Palpatine. But people know that Palpatine is dead. So the fact that he's back and he's he did this broadcast. And then again, Poe is letting everyone know. Palpatine is back. This is his plan. Again, there's no shock on anyone's face. No, like no one's just like, wait, what? How? I have, I have questions. Everyone just accepted it and was just like, okay, all right, we got to defeat Palpatine. And man, yeah, that's totally threw me out of the movie. I've seen this movie. This is my third time seeing it. I did see it twice in theaters. Um, The first time by myself, the second time with Mariah and it was the second time where I was like, yeah, this is a shitty ass movie. I like, oh my gosh, it, it's so, it's not good. And then I watched it again earlier today for this podcast. Every time I've seen this movie, I'm just like, I can't believe no one, everyone's reacting the way they're reacting. Like it's, it's so unrealistic. It's so unnatural. And it's such an oversight on the filmmaker's part. Like, how could you not have a reaction to that? Well, you know, and then, okay, so JJ directed this like as he did The Force Awakens and Spoiler alert for The Force Awakens, but when Han Solo dies, or really after he dies, we never see a scene of Chewie really grieving over Han at all. And it's so crazy. Like, you know, I feel like J.J., he, with that movie and this movie, he makes these small little mistakes. And it's little moments like that 
like this that should be more effective, but they're not because he didn't execute it properly. So after that, we have a scene between Leia and Rey, and Rey is telling Leia that she needs to find the Wayfinder because it'll lead her to Exegol. The idea of this device, the Wayfinder, it's the most convenient plot device ever. <laughs> like This leads you exactly to where you need to go to Palpatine who again has never been his name is, hasn't even been mentioned in the past two movies who knows when the last time his name was ever mentioned but yeah this device leads you right to him so terrible so Ray's trying to tell Finn and Poe that she's going to go by herself but then they insist on going with her and then also right here you know the movie hints at a romance between Finn and Ray. this hint of a romance it actually started back in The Force Awakens they didn't do anything with it in The Last Jedi. And, you know, they bring it up a little bit right here. J.J. goes back to it and there's no payoff. It, it doesn't lead anywhere. Such a big missed opportunity. And actually, at the end of the last movie, Rose was Finn's love interest in that movie. So it's it's perplexing to me that they even bothered carrying on this will she, won't she type of thing, you know, between Ray and Finn. It's obvious that she's not interested. And again, they don't go anywhere with it, and there's no payoff. So after that, the next scene we have is Kylo, and he's there with the Knights of Ren around the table where a monkey is literally <laughs> repairing Kylo's broken mask that he had broke in the previous movie. And it, it, there's so much to unpack with that. Like, yeah, they just have a monkey. Like, it's seriously a monkey wearing, like, somewhat, like, human clothes, like, humanoid clothes or something. But yeah, it's like they train a chimp to like hold tools and act like he's repairing a mask. It's bonkers. It's so crazy. We don't know who that monkey is. It's just the monkey repairing Kylo Ren's broken mask. Speaking of Kylo Ren's broken mask, this movie, I, like, okay, so I really feel like Ryan Johnson, who directed the previous movie, The Last Jedi, I really feel like his movie was a big fuck you to J.J. Abrams. Because as I mentioned earlier, J.J. Abrams in The Force Awakens, he raised a lot of questions a lot of what ifs he you know he set it up for the next movie to explore what he had set up but Ryan like you know and, and briefly you know uh, what I'm referring to is you know who is Ray who are Ray's parents who is Ray all that stuff so Ryan Johnson when he made The Last Jedi he completely disregarded all that he killed Snoke so yeah in The Force Awakens it's like who is Snoke we don't know who Snoke is and then in between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi there was so much fan speculation going on as to who Snoke is and oh he's definitely going to be the main villain for this trilogy like he's the Palpatine of this new trilogy so then when Ryan Johnson makes his movie he's like fuck Snoke fuck Ray's parents fuck Ray like everything again everything JJ has set up with The Force Awakens Ryan Johnson seemingly was like fuck all that I'm doing my own thing and I'm asking some new questions and then so in this movie it feels like JJ is doing Another fuck you right back to Ryan Johnson because in The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson had Kylo Ren smash his mask and Kylo for most of The Last Jedi, Kylo Ren is, has no mask and his mask is pretty freaking awesome. In my opinion, I thought it was pretty cool from The Force Awakens and then yeah, when he breaks it completely in The Last Jedi, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and again, I feel like that's the Ryan Johnson telling JJ like, oh, you made a new design for Kylo Ren. You like you made you made this original design for his mask. Fuck that. He now he doesn't have a mask. It's just his face. So in this. So then we have this scene where, yeah, a monkey is repairing Kylo Ren's mask and Kylo Ren is wearing his new mask again. And his new mask, it reminds me of Chucky 
from Bride of Chucky. Just to go into the Chucky franchise real quick, at the end of Child's Play 3, Chucky gets thrown into this spinning fan blade, like uh, these really sharp blades, and they just cut him into pieces. So when he returns for the next movie, his face is all stitched together because, you know, he had been cut apart. So that's what Kylo Ren's mask reminded me in this movie. It reminded me of Chucky's face. (laughs) It's such an odd decision. But, you know, again, I feel like that's J.J. retaliating back at Ryan Johnson for him breaking his mask in the previous movie. So anyways, after that, we have Kylo in a meeting with a bunch of generals, and he tells them that there's a spy. The scene ends with him force choking a general to the ceiling. Uh, You know, classic Darth Vader bad guy stuff. In the next scene, we see Finn, Poe, Rey, Chewie, and C-3PO on this desert planet. And this planet is basically the Burning Man planet. (laughs) Like, there's like rave-type music going on in the background. If you've ever seen footage from Burning Man, it looks like Burning Man. Like, this whole planet looks like a big old party. It looks like they're a Burning Man. It's so crazy. And I just thought it was such an odd choice for a planet in the Star Wars universe, but I'm like, okay, sure. Anyway, so on the planet, Rey, she has what I guess is a force hallucination. Um, She's able to see Kylo Ren and then they can see each other. So at the end of this conversation between Rey and Kylo, Kylo snatches the necklace off of her neck. So Kylo's crew heads to the planet where everybody is. After that, we have a random scene of some Samaritan saving the gang from getting shot by a bunch of stormtroopers. And then it's revealed that this person is Lando. And I remember in the theater, this was a really big crowd moment. And, you know, they never explain why he was there, how he was there, how he knew who they were. But, you know, he's there to save the day. And he's able to lead them directly to the Wayfinder. And, you know, again, talk about plot convenience. Jesus Christ. And then we get a fan service line from him where he said he's looking out the window and he's like, I got a bad feeling about this Call back to the original trilogy. After that, we get a pretty decent action sequence. The gang is on speeders and stormtroopers are chasing them. And yeah, it's like the speeder chase. And, you know, it's pretty cool. This whole sequence is very fun. And it's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Any scene with all of these cast in the movie, I really, really like it. This action scene ends with the stormtroopers shooting them off of their speeder, and then they land directly on top of this quicksand. You know, again, everything is so convenient in this movie. The the quicksand that they all land in, it leads them to this tunnel system that leads directly to the Wayfinder. And, you know, there's just so much that had to go right with this scene. They get in this random speeder chase with a bunch of stormtroopers, okay? Okay, that's fine. I can deal with that. I can believe that. that that's, that's plausible, sure. And then they kill so many stormtroopers, shooting them off their bikes, having them crash into each other, you know, like all that stuff. But the second they get shot off of their speeders, they land exactly on the quicksand that leads into the tunnels that leads directly to the Wayfinder. Absolutely ridiculous, but, you know, yeah, they're... <laughs> You just got to go with it at this point. So yeah, they're in this tunnel system and then they come across a blade in the ground. Okay, so on this blade, it is inscribed the location to the Wayfinder. (laughs) And C-3PO, he looks at it and says that he can't read it. He could read in like thousands of languages, but he can't read this because it's written in Sith language and Sith language, it's prohibited in his programming. And then after that, we get another huge WTF moment in this movie. This huge warm monster appears out of nowhere. It starts hissing at everybody, and then we can see that it's wounded. It has this pretty severe gash in it. And, you know, so this warm monster, it's huge. It looks like a gigantic, it looks like a supersized anaconda. So, yeah, so we see this huge wound in it. So then Ray goes over to it, all cool, calm, and collected, She puts her hand over the wound 
and then she completely heals it. So at this point of the movie, Ray has now become Jesus. She can just heal people on a whim. This was never introduced in any Star Wars movie, or it, it certainly wasn't introduced in this new trilogy that Ray had this ability. And, you know, we don't even get a scene of, of someone introducing the idea of, like, force healing to Ray. Like, hey, maybe you should try that. Like, she just, she sees that it's wounded, and she puts her hand over it, and she heals the wound, and then the this worm monster goes off. And then the movie just moves on. No characters ask Ray, how did you do that? How did you know you could do that? Just nothing. You know, again, at this point, Ray is now Jesus, and, we just, and we're just supposed to accept it. So after that, we have a scene with Kylo Ren, and he's with the Knights of Ren on this planet. And, you know, talk about wasted potential. The Knights of Ren, so they were briefly introduced in The Force Awakens, but we don't know anything about the Knights of Ren. Who are the Knights of Ren? Like in the movies, they don't explain them at all. We just know that Kylo is the is the leader of the Knights of Ren. I guess that's why he's Kylo Ren. I, again, I don't know who they are. They look cool. I mean, they all kind of look like Kylo. They're all dressed in they're they're dressed in all black. And then when I saw that, I remember thinking, "Oh, cool! They're finally going to explain who the Knights of Ren are." No, they don't. The movie never gives us a clear explanation of exactly who the Knights of Ren are. And then the scene after that, we see Chewie getting apprehended by stormtroopers on this planet. We have this weird duel where Rey is standing in the middle of a desert and then Kylo is on an X-Wing and he's flying straight towards her, almost like a game of chicken, but Rey is standing there with her lightsaber and the X-Wing is very close to the ground. It's like maybe 10 feet above the ground and he's just flying straight towards Rey. And then this is a scene that we saw in the trailer for this movie but as soon as Kylo's ship gets really close to Rey she does this pretty cool flip where when she's like completely upside down during the flip she cuts the wing off of Kylo's ship causing it to crash in the desert and it was pretty cool but it was a scene that I saw a hundred times in the trailer. So we see a ship flying away and it looks like the same exact ship that we saw Chewie getting apprehended in and so it's flying away and then Finn is yelling out to Rey that they have Chewie in it. And then we see Rey using the force to stop the ship dead in its tracks. The ship is trying to ascend up into the sky, leaving the planet's atmosphere. Rey stops it. And then on the other side of the desert, we see Kylo and he starts using the force. So essentially him and Rey are fighting over this ship that we think Chewie is on. Because again, when we saw Chewie getting apprehended, it was the same ship. So Kylo and Rey are fighting over the ship. And then we see lightning coming out of Rey's hand. Just like it did with Palpatine in the original trilogy. And I remember seeing this in the movies. And right then and there, thinking, oh, Rey is going to be related to Palpatine. Just because of the lightning coming out of her hand. That's the first thing I thought. So anyways, this ship explodes. And yeah, we think that Chewie died. Because again, just the way the editing was done, they really tricked us into thinking Chewie was on that ship. I remember too in the theater seeing that and just being like, okay, damn. That, that was pretty ballsy. They, they killed Chewie. And, you know, I was okay with that. I thought that was pretty ballsy. And I wish they would have stuck with that. But I'll get to that in a second. So back on Kylo's ship, we see that Chewie is alive and well. And that he was actually on another ship. So, again, that previous scene was just a complete fake out. They wanted you to feel emotional about Chewie dying. And they don't even give you that. Again, when I saw that in theaters, I thought that was so ballsy of the movie. And I was like, okay, this is, you know... If the movie goes in this kind of direction where they take some big risk and truly subvert our expectations, that's going to be a really good movie. But they don't, you know, they set up that Chewie's dead. Just kidding. He's alive. Don't worry, people. We're not going to do anything 
too crazy <laughs> with this movie. So after that, we have a scene with the gang, and they say that Kylo has taken the blade that has that has the coordinates to the Wayfinder. And then we have a kind of funny scene where C-3PO says, oh man, the only way to read the inscriptions are in my memory. And then people are like, everyone there is just like, well, then let's do that. But then we find out that it's a very dangerous procedure. And basically to extract the memory from C-3PO's head, you would have to wipe his memory in doing so. So after that, we see the gang with BB-8 and they turn on this new droid in this ship. And he's a cute droid. His name is Dio. He's basically a BB-8 light. Uh, Disney just wanted to make some more money, make some more toys and stuffed animals and all that. And, you know, I like Dio. He's cute. So after that, we see the gang on a planet and Poe is sneakily walking around the city trying to find this character named Babu Creek. And Babu Creek is going to be the one who's able to extract that memory from C-3PO. So Poe gets stopped by an old apprentice of his, someone named Zori. But after that, Rey is able to get Zori on her side. And Zori leads them to Babu Creek. So Babu Creek tells them that in order to get the inscription from C-3PO's memory, they're going to have to completely wipe his memory in the process. This Babu character, he looks so cool. He has such a funny voice. I actually really like him. You could tell that he's a practical puppet. And yeah, I thought he was cute and funny. I liked his voice. I liked him. I really liked him. So after that, we see Zori and Poe talking to each other. And she does a complete 180. So when we first saw her in the movie, she stopped Poe and tried to kill him. And then, you know, here we are like another two scenes later. And she she's telling him that, hey, why don't you come with me to this other planet? We're like, we could start over new. It's just that there was no real character development with her. Um, everything just happens real quickly between her and Poe. We're just like, oh, okay, they knew each other. They had a relationship and she wants to... She wants to kill him, but now she's okay with it. Like, it throws so much at you, and it's just like, wait, what? And all this happens within the course of, like, five minutes in movie time. So after that, they're able to extract the message from C-3PO, and he speaks it. And then when he's done speaking the message, he's reverted back to his factory settings, and then he introduces himself again. So after that, the crew get a device from Zori, and it allows them to enter Kylo Ren's ship undetected the plot conveniences in this movie she has this very specific device of getting on the kylo ship undetected so the crew uses this device on the millennium falcon and they make their way onto kylo's ship when they land they kill a few stormtroopers so and then we have a scene where ray she does some jedi mind tricks on a couple of stormtroopers making them tell her where chewie is so she's walking around the ship and she finds where the dagger is and the dagger is in kylo's lair and then she sees Vader's destroyed mask there. So she grabs the dagger, and then we have another Force Skype meeting with Kylo and Rey. <laughs> and we can see, so in this scene, Rey is in the same location as Kylo, but he cannot see where she is. You know, again, she's in his quarters, but he doesn't know that. So Kylo tells her that Palpatine actually killed her parents. Dun, dun, dun. And as he's telling her this, she knocks over Vader's mask. And then when that falls, Kylo is able to see it. And he's like, oh, so you're there. So he knows where she is now. After that, we have a scene with Finn, Poe, and Chewie. They're all handcuffed and they're about to be executed by these stormtroopers. But then we see General Hux come in out of nowhere. And he was like, gentlemen, I like to do the honor myself. And then he ends up killing the stormtroopers. And then he has this line where he says, I'm the spy. I really hate what they did with General Hux in this trilogy. The General Hux in The Force Awakens, I thought he had, he didn't have too much screen time. And I was really excited with where they were going to take General Hux because I didn't know, but he was so menacing. He was almost as menacing as Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens. And then by the time we get to The Last Jedi, 
he's like he's a joke of a character he's seriously he's there to be made fun of and he's just like a bumbling idiot and i really really don't like where they took him in the last jedi so by the time this movie came around i had kind of lost all faith in hux i was i didn't think that they would do him justice and i and i don't think they did and i think it's such a shame because he's such a brilliant actor and you know his character has so much potential but he turns out to be the spy and he lets the guys go and then the next scene we see Rey and Kylo having another interaction but this time they're on the ship and it's right here where Kylo tells her that she is a Palpatine and you know like I said when I first saw this in theaters I knew she was Palpatine like 15 minutes previous in the movie when Rey had the lightning coming out of her fingers in a very Palpatine fashion so when this was revealed in the movie I remember just being like oh yeah 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 I totally call that (laughs) <laughs> like you guys kind of made that obvious and then he also tells her that Palpatine had her parents killed and he he's just trying to get her to join the dark side and he's like you know we could team up and take over the world basically eventually Rey gets rescued by the Millennium Falcon and she makes it in the ship in the nick of time the next scene we have some random general shooting Hux proclaiming to Kylo that he found the spy so Hux is dead just like that <laughs> the previous scene he's like I'm the spy the next scene a higher ranking general shoots him and tells Kylo he was the spy the whole time. Uh, very weird and odd. And again, I think they just, they did Hux dirty in this movie. In this franchise, they really, they could have made him so cool and so menacing and so interesting. They could have gone so many places with him and they didn't. They blew it. And that's the end of Hux. After that, we see the gang on the planet where the Death Star from Return of the Jedi fell. So the we see the remains of this of the Death Star on this planet, and it's in the middle of the ocean. And I'm like, okay, so they're there because on that Death Star there is a apparently there is a wayfinder. And then okay, so they all arrive in the Millennium Falcon, and so they're standing on this cliff, and they're looking towards the Death Star remains in the ocean. And then Ray she decides to take out the blade. So she has the blade in her hand, and she's pointing it at the Death Star. And then on one of the edges of the plate, there's this secret extension, like compartment of it, if you will. Like it extends out on the handle. And (laughs) so in this moment, she just knows that there's a secret compartment there and she pulls it out and it's kind of, it's like a makeshift compass and she's, she points it at the Death Star and then it perfectly aligns up with where the Wayfinder is. And there's just so much wrong with this scene. It's just so implausible. This random blade that she found earlier in the movie, she just knew to take it out on this random spot of the cliff where it aligns perfectly with the wreckage of the Death Star. Like, she had to be standing in that exact same spot that aligns up to the wreckage and the death. And just like, oh my gosh, so much about the scene is it gives me a headache when I think about it too much. And I know it's just a science fiction movie and like it's not really important, but Jesus Christ, it drove me crazy, especially watching it earlier today. I like it's so implausible. I'm like I can't. I can't with this. Like Ray is god in this movie. She is in god mode. She cannot be hurt, she cannot be harmed. She always has the answer to everything. She always knows what to do. Man, I think they overcompensated with Rey in this whole franchise. Again, they made her untouchable. They made her a god. 
and you can't relate to Ray. It's really a detriment to this movie. So after that, we have a scene with Finn and a woman who lives on the planet, and we find out through their discussion that she is a former stormtrooper who went AWOL, just like Finn is. After that, we get this incredibly unrealistic scene where we see Ray, and she's on a sailboat, and she's heading towards the wreckage, and there are these like tsunami-type waves, and Ray is just traversing the seas perfectly. And, you know, let me remind you, you know, so in Force Awakens, we find out that Ray, she lived her whole life on this p- desert planet, Jakku. How the hell would she know how to work and operate a sailboat? Because this planet that, again, like I said, this the Death Star wreckage is in the middle of the ocean of this planet. And, uh, you know, I yeah, I didn't mention that there were these huge waves. And then they were telling them, oh, we're going to have to wait, like till tomorrow to until the waves calm down in this scene we see ray operating the sailboat just these huge ass waves and you know again a scene like this it just really makes like it really makes ray feel like she's a superhero you know i get like if she's strong in the force but but this movie just makes her do no wrong like everything she does is the right choice and there's never really like any you never really feel scared for ray even like when the the movie tries to make it seem like oh, she could die right here. Like, you know she's not going to die. You know she's going to be perfectly fine. And I think that's a huge detriment to this movie. You never really feel like she's in jeopardy because you know she's going to come out on top. Anyways, after that array, she makes her way to the Death Star in the middle of the ocean. And then we see her doing these incredible gymnastics, hopping and skipping from ledge to ledge, pole to pole. And she winds up in the throne room and she has a hallucination where she sees evil Ray. And Evil Ray, she has like this Darth Maul type lightsaber where it's double-edged and she dressed in all black and it looks kind of funny. It's just Daisy Ridley dressed in all black, but you know, she's Evil Ray in this one. So the hallucination is over and she falls out and she lands on the floor in the throne room and Kylo was there and Ray is super pissed off at Kylo because he takes the Wayfinder and he smashes it in his hands and she screams and then they do have a pretty cool lightsaber battle right here. They make their way outside of the Death Star. All these huge waves are crashing around. And, you know, the imagery right here looks really, really cool and pretty epic. But then this scene is also undercut by Rey and Kylo doing these huge video game superhero type jumps. They're just jumping like 100 feet in the air doing backflips. And it's, I don't know, like it really lost me right here. But the fight ends with Rey slicing through Kylo's stomach. And as she cuts through Kylo's stomach... Ray has a force vision of Leia dying in that very same moment. And then Ray starts crying and then we see that Leia is dead. She's laying in her deathbed. She is now dead. So Ray, she puts her hand over Kylo's wound, ultimately saving his life, bringing him back to life. And then I think it's this part of the movie where Kylo Ren is now on the light side. He has turned to the light side. He no longer wants to participate and the dark side. So after that, we have a scene where the crew is back on their home planet, and we get a scene where they lead Chewie and Poe to Leia's deathbed. And in this scene, we see Chewie, like he falls to his knees, and he's like, like he's just crying and making a big old scene about it. And I really feel like this is JJ making up for how Chewie reacted to Han Solo's death in The Force Awakens. So in The Force Awakens, you know, again, obviously spoilers for The Force Awakens, but I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you either saw The Force Awakens and you already know the spoilers or you just don't give a shit. And so it doesn't matter. So yeah, I'm just going to say it anyways. So in The Force Awakens, Kylo Ren kills Han Solo. When Han Solo gets stabbed and he falls over the ledge, we Chewie is like, ah, 
And that's the only reaction we get from Chewie. We don't get any other like sad anything, any other reaction from Chewie. And that was a big criticism of the movie. A lot of people noticed that. In a couple scenes after that, when Leia finds out that Han Solo has died, Chewie is there and he walks right by Leia. He doesn't give her a hug. He doesn't do anything. And people were like, what the hell? And in later interviews, J.J. Abrams admitted that he wished he would have done something more with Chewie in that moment. He d it was an oversight of his. After that, we get a pretty sweet scene where Kylo, I guess he gets a force vision of his father, Han Solo. And Harrison Ford and Adam Driver, they're doing some really, really great acting in this scene. You know, albeit a short scene, they're just really acting their asses off. And, you know, Adam Driver is such a fantastic actor, as is Harrison Ford, especially Harrison Ford's later career. Um, I think it's some of his best acting, honestly. He's fantastic in Blade Runner 2049. Kylo wants to tell... Han Solo that he loves him he says dad and he struggles to say the next words and then Han says I know and that's a callback to the Empire Strikes Back where Leia says I love you and then Han says I know so I just thought it was such a beautiful scene just the callback aspect of it and just the scene between them it, it was really really well done the scene ends with Kylo throwing his super cool three-sided lightsaber into the ocean after that, we get a scene of Rey, and she's back on Luke's planet, where he was in the previous movie, The Last Jedi, and she's throwing things into this burning fire, and she's about to throw the lightsaber into the fire, and she throws it, and it gets caught by a force ghost Luke, and right here, Luke says, this is no way to treat a lightsaber, and you know, this I feel like this is a direct clapback, if you will, <laughs> to Ryan Johnson, because in The Last Jedi, Luke throws the lightsaber behind his head. And, you know, I, you know, I just feel like this is a subtle jab back at Ryan Johnson. And Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder in the last movie was a pretty controversial scene amongst Star Wars fans. I personally thought it was pretty stupid. It was too goofy. I felt like they made it too comical, like him just throwing it over his shoulder, like whoop, eh, there it goes. After that, we have a scene where Luke tells Rey that, hey, Leia would want you to have this. And it's Leia's lightsaber, which is blue. Luke tells Rey that Leia says she knew that one day someone would get this who would complete her journey. The scene ends with Luke raising his X-Wing from the water allowing Rey to use it. So Rey is on her way to Exegol, and she's using the Wayfinder, and she's sending her coordinates out to the Resistance. And then we have a scene of the Resistance strategizing how they're going to go about this, taking out all these Star Destroyers. And then it's also said right here that they sent out a message across the galaxy, basically gathering up as many people as they can to help fight the, the First Order. So the next scene we have Rey, and she's on the planet Exegol, and a fun fact about this, there are 14,448 Star Destroyers in the sky. So all these Star Destroyers that we saw Palpatine raise earlier, over 14,000. So Rey is able to land her X-Wing on the ground as she walks into Palpatine's lair. So then we see the Resistance show up on Exegol. And of course, it's just them. No one has shown up to back them up. And they realize that they are massively outnumbered. So... For the next 20 minutes or so in the movie, it basically cuts back between the Resistance trying their best to take out as many Star Destroyers as possible. And, you know, of course they start losing their fleet. And this is cut between that and Rey and Palpatine. She makes her way up to Palpatine. And really nothing super important happens right here. Ultimately, Palpatine tells her that he wants Rey to kill him so that she can complete the Order. And that his spirit will go into her and all the Sith before him. They will all live within her. 
I really I remember watching this in theaters and just being bored, you know. So Ian McDermott, he returned as Palpatine, and he's just doing his typical Palpatine voice, just like ah yes, girl, yeah, yeah. It's just like a bunch of that, and I don't really think it works right here, to be honest. So after that, we see all the Star Destroyers in the sky, and we and a bunch of X-wings, and they're outnumbered, and it's just kind of mind-numbing at this point. It just looks so fake and CGI, and all three times it was really hard for me to get into the action at this point. I just don't care. And I'm not even exactly sure what's going on at this point. It's just so, like, scrambled and uninteresting to look at. So Finn and a small team, they land on top of a Star Destroyer, and they exit the ship, and they're riding a bunch of space horses. Let that sink in. They're riding a bunch of space horses on top of a Star Destroyer. And, okay, that's what's happening now. And I just had, I mean, just right away, I'm like, isn't that ship slippery? Like, aren't the horses going to be slipping? But whatever, they do fine. And, you know, again, this is another, like, impossibility that the movie just throws at you and is like, just accept it. <laughs> so, yeah, again, th- this whole last, like, 20 minutes is just really boring to me. And it's just all, like, CGI fighting. The good guys are losing. And then you get this terrible dialogue between Palpatine and Ray, And I'm just, like... I'm not really impressed with Ian McDermott's performance right here. He just sounds like he's doing a parody of himself, like he's doing a parody of Palpatine. And I know like that sounds maybe oxymoronic because he did indeed portray Palpatine. But hearing it now, like I just feel like it, like this whole end sequence and it, it just seems very fan servicey. He's doing his he's doing his Palpatine voice. He's trying to get Ray to go to the dark side, just like he was trying to convince Luke to go to the dark side. I mean, I feel like we're just repeating a bunch of beats from the original trilogy. And at one point, Kylo lands on the planet and he makes his way into Snoke's lair. And as Kylo is approaching, he takes out all these guards and then eventually he confronts the Knights of Ren, who he has betrayed. Again, who the fuck are the Knights of Ren? Like, how are, like, I just don't get it. Like, it makes it seem like, ooh, like, oh no, he has to fight the Knights of Ren, whoever the fuck they are. And, you know, this scene would have had more of an impact if they would have fleshed out the Knights of Ren. And we would have known anything about them or their background, but we don't. And there may be some like expanded universe, like books or whatever that explain it. But I mean, hey, I'm reviewing the movie. I'm talking about the movie. Movie doesn't talk about it. I don't know about it. So then during the fight, there's this one part where Rey and Kylo like have a force connection again. And she's able to transfer her lightsaber to Kylo. So now during these force Skypes, they're able to transfer items to each other. I mean, I just really feel like the movie's just making shit up as they go at this point. So eventually Kylo takes out the Knights of Ren, and then he teams up with Rey, and then they both square up against Palpatine. It seems like Palpatine's going to beat them, but you know he's not. He starts using his magic hands, the lightning, and he's like extracting the force out of both of them, I guess. It just, it's, it's never really clearly explained what's going on. So after that, we cut back to the Resistance, and they're getting their ass kicked, and then we see Poe saying that they're not going to make it. And then out of nowhere, we hear Lando's voice saying that we're here. And this whole scene is such a blatant ripoff of Avengers Endgame. This is a on-your-left equivalent to Endgame. And just thousands of ships come that are in alliance with the Resistance, and they're here to help them out. And it's such a deus ex machina. And if you're not familiar with deus ex machina, it means from the hand of God. So basically, it just means like completely out of nowhere, something comes and saves the day, saves the moment, whatever. I rolled my eyes so hard in theaters. I remember thinking like, of course, they're going to come right in the nick of time. Like, of course, they were never going to actually be defeated. 
I just felt like it was so obvious that they were going to get saved and they built up with all of this false tension and drama and in the end it's just undercut by them getting rescued by everybody. So then we cut back and Palpatine is using his force magic and he shoots lightning up into the sky and it's so comical. It's just plain bad. The lightning is shooting up in the sky and it's taking out specifically all of the resistance ships. After that Palpatine he focuses his attention to Rey and he uses his little twinkly fingers force lightning at Rey and she's blocking it with a lightsaber causing it to reverse so the lightning starts striking Palpatine and then it kills Palpatine? Like what? Like that killed him? The lightning that is within him, once it's used on him, he dies? Oh my god, I just cannot believe how ridiculous that is and that's how they chose to kill Palpatine. I feel like he died in a much more satisfying and believable way in Return of the Jedi when Vader killed him. That had much more stakes and emphasis on it, I felt like. And, okay, yeah, Ray, she uses two lightsabers, makes an X, and kills Palpatine. It's just so stupid. Oh, my gosh. I just hate that they brought back Palpatine, and they don't even send him off in a cool or really super effective way. It's just... Oh yeah, she's going to use his lightning on himself and yeah, that's it. He's dead. After that, we see Rey falter her knees and then we see Kylo emerge from a hole that Palpatine threw him in earlier. He walks over to Rey and he uses the same force healing on her that she did for him earlier in the movie. And when she awakes, they kiss. And, you know, I don't really know how I feel about this. Even when I first saw it, ultimately, I don't think it works or it feels right, especially because immediately after they kiss... Kylo falls over dead. I get the strong sense that JJ and the filmmakers really thought this scene was going to destroy us as an audience member, but it doesn't. I feel like it was very telegraphed and very obvious, and again, it just didn't work for me. I felt like they should have never kissed. It just, I feel like it was really fan service. They really felt like, oh, this is what the people want to see, but I really never wanted them to get together, to be honest. So after that, we see the Star Destroyers falling down from the sky, and we get a perspective from the Ewoks planet and of all these Star Destroyers falling. And I'm just thinking like, well, they're on Exegol. So shouldn't you only be able to see it from like Exegol's planet? But I guess these planets throughout the galaxy are able to see these Star Destroyers falling. I don't really think they thought that out. I think they just thought it would look like a cool image. And they were just like, hey, more fan service. Remember the Ewoks? You like the Ewoks, right? Yay. Cheer in the theaters when you see the scene. Oh, God. We then see the Resistance all celebrating over their victory. And then we get a very brief and throwaway scene of Disney trying to make a pro-LGBTQ statement. And they have these two no-name female characters hugging each other and then they kiss each other. They make out real quick. And I just felt like it's awkward and it's obvious that Disney, like what Disney is doing, they're just clearly pandering. They just want to be safe. Like, hey, we're hip. We're modern. We're okay with the gay community. Look at, see, we have this, we had these two background characters making out. See, we're okay with it. We're cool. We're not a normal company. We're a cool company. Get out of here with that bullshit. I saw right through their bullshit from the very first time I saw it. And even when I saw it earlier today, I was like, no, no, it just did not work. I see what you're doing. I see right through them. So after that, the last scene in the movie, we have Rey. She's back on Tatooine and she is burying Luke's and Leia's sabers at Luke's home. And then the saber reemerges into the saber that has a yellow blade, if you will. And then some random elderly woman walks up to Rey and she asks who she is. And then Rey says, Rey. And then a huge long pause. And then she says, Skywalker. 
And then the very last image of the movie is Ray and BB-8 walking off into the distance with the two sons on Tatooine setting. And they are positioned in the same shape as BB-8. And that is the movie. That is Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. So let's get into a little bit of the release of this movie. So this movie was released December 20th, 2019. It had a budget of $275 million and it grossed a total of $1.74 billion. So like all of these new Star Wars movies, it was a massive hit. It made the studio a lot of money. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 51% rotten rating with the critics and an 86% fresh rating with the audience, which I found to be very, very interesting. So John Boyega, he accidentally left a copy of the script under his bed in his hotel room and (laughs) it was found on eBay and it was listed for around 60 pounds. And then a Disney employee identified the script as being authentic. And then they purchased it from the seller for an undisclosed sum. And I just think that's so funny. Like, John Boyega did not give a shit about this movie. And like, and when you watch interviews with him post this movie's release, yeah, he seems very apathetic and very unhappy with the way the whole series turned out. And especially his character. And it's really funny. But yeah, just for him to completely just to leave a script in a hotel room like that is just not giving a fuck right there so the movie was nominated for best visual effects best sound editing and best original score from john williams and it did not win any of those awards in colin Chiraro's original script the emperor was not the villain of the movie it was actually kylo ren they did have another villain in the movie a sith master that was over 7,000 years old and in his original script General Hux commits suicide by stabbing himself with a lightsaber when it becomes clear that the First Order has been defeated. Man, that sounds so interesting. I I really wish they would have gone somewhere like that with Hux. I wish they would have made his story more interesting and given it more attention because I feel like there was a lot to work there and you have such a great actor in Domino Gleason. Um, Such a bummer. Such a bummer. Alrighty, let's get into my final thoughts with this movie. Like I mentioned... I got very interested in the Star Wars universe around the time The Force Awakens was to be released. So I don't have that like lifelong attachment to Star Wars. Like I, It's not like I was super offended by these movies. Um, I kind of came in like as a newer fan. But with that said, I do feel like I, f- I truly feel like Disney completely mismanaged this whole trilogy. This new trilogy that was continuing the Luke Skywalker or rather the Skywalker legacy the skywalker saga as they called it i feel like it could have and should have been handled much better with much more it should have had a higher quality to it and it should have been more consistent and had a clear through line and it it, like it could have been a brilliant trilogy it could have made up for the prequels which a lot of people do think it does a lot of people hate the prequels they think that it's um just too cartoonish poorly acted poorly written i mean that's a whole other thing to get into and if you want to hear a brilliant criticism of the prequels i highly recommend checking out red letter media's mr plinkett reviews of the prequels it is hilarious brilliant and it truly dissects every aspect of those movies and really points out the flaws of that trilogy and where it went so wrong. But yeah, with all that said, I feel like with the public bashing of the prequels from a critical and fan standpoint, I feel like Disney, they could have really redeemed themselves. And I feel like they sort of did with the force awakens. It wasn't, 
it wasn't original because it was basically a remake of A New Hope, but it wasn't. But they kept a lot of the same elements. And I was like, okay, I hope they go somewhere different with the second one. And then they went too far in a different direction with the second one because Ryan Johnson was like, I'm not going to follow anything that you set up. I'm going to set up a new storyline. And I just felt like that was very selfish. And obviously no one was like on the same page. Like they weren't a real team or yeah. And it's, it's so unfortunate because I feel like this new trilogy should have been the, it should have been fucking amazing. It had all the potential in the world. It had all the money in the world with Disney um, now owning it, but it was such a letdown. I had a feeling it was going to be, but like I said, like, I, I mean, maybe I'm just a completist, <laughs> whatever they call it. I just knew that I had to see it because I invested, I already saw the first two movies and I feel like I can't just like, although I had a feeling this new one was going to be bad, I had to see it just to see where they, where they're going to take it. I knew they were bringing back Palpatine. So I was like, okay, how are they going to do it? I hope they're smart about it. They were not smart about it. It was clearly fan service. And it's just so crazy watching a major movie studio movie like this get so poorly handled. Like, like they dropped the ball on this one. And the fucked up thing is these movies made tons of money. So The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker all made over a billion dollars. The Force Awakens made two billion dollars. These movies were incredibly profitable for the studio. So... I mean, although Disney didn't do the story justice, they did a they did a subpar job with it. Disney's not hurting over this because we all went to go see these movies multiple times. I certainly did. Even this movie, I didn't like it, but I saw it twice in theaters because that first time I was like, oh no, I don't think I liked it. And I saw it that second time and I was like, no, yeah, I definitely did not like it. And yeah, I think that's basically all I have to say about this movie and this whole new franchise, th- this new trilogy that Disney attempted I, I feel like they, they fumbled. They dropped the ball. It was not good. It should have been good. Um, and, it, you know, honestly, it's a shame that, it's, that it wasn't. It really is frustrating, but, you know, I, I don't get too worked up over it. I'm just like, hey, you know what? The Star Wars movies I do like, I can always watch those. Like, at least I have those. And then Disney started doing The Mandalorian last year, and The Mandalorian is such a great show. Like, that expands the universe while staying grounded. Um, I really love The Mandalorian, and, and, and who doesn't love Baby Yoda? He's so damn cute. Okay, so my overall grade for this movie, um, I'm definitely going to give it a D. It's certainly not a D plus, and I don't think it's necessarily a D minus, because there were scenes and character interactions that I did like, that I mentioned throughout you know the review and all that, but... Yeah, like, it's, it's, not, it's not the worst Star Wars movie. It's not an F. It's not complete dog shit it's more frustrating because when you watch it and you see everything they do you're just like oh they didn't really do anything interesting or do anything super believable or something i could buy into and and yeah i've said it many times throughout this podcast but i think that's the biggest detriment to this movie is them just not having a clear plan and it just meandering and kind of going in whatever direction they want to go for whatever movie they're making. And I definitely would not recommend this movie. This movie is a D minus and it is a no recommendation. I would not recommend seeing it. If you're a completist like me, I don't even know if that's a word, but I like saying it. If you're a completist and you just like to complete a franchise or just like to say that you've seen it, then I would say watch this movie, but I'm just letting you know it's definitely not it's definitely not a great movie or original. It's um yeah, it's a bit disappointing. 
I would say it's better than The Last Jedi because I really did not like The Last Jedi. That movie was boring. They made horrible choices. They ruined Luke Skywalker. I mean, I could go on. <laughs> like I said, I could make a podcast about that. I don't really want to because I certainly don't want to rewatch that movie. But I think this one has more going for it in terms of like good stuff or swings that they went for. Like more of them work in this one. A lot of them don't just like they don't work in The Last Jedi. But yeah, I think I think of this new trilogy. Force Awakens is definitely the best movie. And yeah, I think that's all I have to say about this movie. Um don't see it. I think <laughs> I think it was a waste of time and just, oh my God, so poorly handled and executed. And I hope Disney does better with their future efforts for franchises, like beloved franchises that have been around for decades. I really hope they put in a lot more planning. And I really hope that they make sure everyone's on the same page because, yeah, the way they approached this just didn't work. It worked for them monetarily but it did not work for us fans Alrighty, everybody so i think that's going to be a wrap on this episode um i'm glad i finally got to talk about this movie it wasn't pretty and it wasn't fun rewatching it but i'm glad i got it off my chest i didn't have a lot to say about this movie but i am really looking forward to next week's episode because next week's episode i am going to be joined by very special guest and my wifey mariah and we will be continuing our Tame Impala discography review. And we will be talking about Tame Impala's 2015 record, Currents. And I, I, I know I can speak for both of us, for both me and Mariah. We, we are both very stoked to dive into this album. Um, yeah, no spoilers, no spoilers, but we really do enjoy this album. And there is a lot to be talked about <laughs> with this album and it's going to be really, really good. So definitely tune into that. That's next week's episode. Um, if you guys haven't already, please follow this podcast and all the socials. We're on Instagram at Intertopia podcast. We are on Facebook at Intertopia. Alrighty. Thank you guys so much for listening. I have been your host, Michael. Thank you for tuning in and I will catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>